0: I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places.
1: There is a huge feeling that a relationship will fix you, and it doesn't always matter if it's the right relationship, as long as you're kind of in one.
0: Many of us will have seen the Steve Carell film The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which sees the character of Andy desperately trying to find a relationship and lose his virginity. In the film, we see his colleagues can't quite stomach the fact that he's hit 40 without reaching this grand milestone. And the premise works so well because this is an image reflected in wider society. Single people, especially older single people, are treated like pariahs. Losing your virginity becomes a race against time. If you don't want children, you're thought of as mad. Some people are openly disgusted. There is a standard that most people expect us to meet as we age and heaven forbid we stray from that path. These societal expectations can lead us to do bizarre things. And this is what the author Emily Horton toys with in her new book, Last Time We Met, which follows the stories of best friends Eleanor and Finn. I'm delighted to say that Emily is my guest today. Chapter 1 The Pact. Do you remember your childhood sweetheart? That one person you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with? Most of us can cast our minds back to some teenage wishful thinking, that relationship that never was. But what really often happens is that best friends drift apart, romances are forgotten, and people who once meant the world to us mean nothing now. In their early years, Eleanor and Finn were inseparable convinced that it would always be this way. But to be sure, they made a pact to keep their lives intertwined, agreeing to get married if they're both 35 and single. While we do get a glimpse into this beautifully naive childhood, the book is mostly set two decades later, where everything has changed since the last time they saw each other. And it's here that they revisit the pact that they made, It got me thinking just how strange it is that the idea of being single at 35 is so awful that we do anything to avoid it.
1: This is something I feel quite strongly about as I've gotten older, mainly because I probably subscribed to that notion for a long time. And there's definitely a fear, I think, in society and our culture of being alone and what that means if you are on your own. And I think we've deemed success by certain measures and being in a relationship, from my experience and, and kind of a lot of work that I've done over the last few years, there's this synonymous of when you're in a relationship, then you're acceptable and someone has picked you and someone has loved you and therefore you are okay and you are enough. And I think what we've grown up with, and maybe particularly as a romance writer, I feed into the narrative a little bit, but this idea that, you know, we've grown up with Disney and we've grown up with these love stories where these characters are nothing until they meet this one person. And then suddenly, A, their life suddenly becomes phenomenally better. And B, they then are complete and are the happiest they've ever been. And we never really see past the point where they get together. So you kind of have this whole build up. they then get together and it ends. And I think that narrative has just been fed into our minds. So it's this fear that if we're on our own, then something's wrong with us.
0: What you said about being a romance writer is really interesting because actually you've kind of you've picked a genre and now you've got to play within its rules, which I think is really, really interesting and also quite challenging in a way. But if you think about the practicalities of making a pact with someone as a teenager, that if you're not married by a certain age, then why don't you both end up together? practically intellectually that makes no sense because the chances of you being anywhere close to the same people then Mm -hmm. as you are now are so slim so when you realize as a reader that this is what this book is about i'm already conditioned for the fact that you have priced in problems jeopardy it's going to take a long time because if they do meet which they do again, in the present, they've got to relearn who they are as people. So I understand the notion of making a pact. I just think it's so hard to make it work, isn't it? You've got to put so many problems in the way because 15, you know, a couple of decades go by, you're inevitably going to be a completely different person.
1: Yeah. And I think the beauty of when you make those pacts, and I think as humans, we are very conditioned to kind of be like, well, this is just going to be the same forever you know like this is who what's going to happen you almost don't have that understanding of of the vastness in which you can change in those times and I think you see that in the characters you know their lives are end up in in very unexpected ways so I don't think either of them are where they hoped to be or or thought they would be and yeah and, and for me I know we you mentioned briefly about you know being a romance writer and playing within that that field but and for me, it's very important in my books that the characters go on their own journeys as well. So by the time they meet, they're already going on a journey to understand themselves. And whatever happens in the book, it's important for me that they still have their own journey and that they come out of it knowing themselves and they're happier with or without the other person. But yeah, it is it is a mad concept to think suddenly 20 years time, you can just pick up where you left and it's going to be like... Great. Let's just let's just do this thing. You know, it's it's quite an, a short sighted view of of the world. But it, but an entirely authentic
0: teenage one. You know, it's that let's yes. make life as simple as we possibly can. But when we do meet back up in the present mm-hmm. day, you present characters to us that they're not broken, but they're not in great places given what's happened to them. You know, a lot of time has passed. And I think one of the greatest tricks of adulthood for mm. teenagers is this myth that when you're an adult, everything's great. And it's very not yeah. great. Right? Yeah. It's very yeah. much tough. It's hard, right? It's difficult. Life is not what you think it's going to be. So, in the present day, when you've moved the clock forward and we meet these two people again, and we have these rolling perspective narratives that go from boy, girl, present, past. So we're learning a lot. And very quickly, we get to an understanding that we'll pick Eleanor as an example. Eleanor has come out of a difficult relationship and is probably in a process of rebuilding herself after that and Mm -hmm. relearning about herself so we don't start from a level playing field we start from a position of actually we're probably both in a rebuilding phase and I did wonder Mm -hmm. whether actually the worst thing to help that rebuilding (laughs) phase would be to put them back together and that's exactly what you do
1: right yes what a time to bring them together when they are almost falling apart what I really wanted to create for Eleanor is this sense of And again, I think it plays into what we talked about at the beginning with this idea that you just have to be in a relationship. And it doesn't always matter if it's the right relationship, as long as you're kind of in one. And I think with her, especially, you see her really realising that she probably stuck this thing out, out of fear, and what it meant if they weren't together. And she'd lost a huge amount of herself in that relationship. So... This was a process of rediscovering who she was. And actually, Finn coming back into her life was maybe a bit of a reminder of what she'd lost about herself. And for me, that was a yes, it probably was a difficult time for them to reconnect. But actually, it was also a beautiful one, because sometimes those people remind us of who we who we were and, and maybe what we have lost that we loved about ourselves. Um, they kind of become a bit of a mirror. So I think Finn is that for her in that example in that scenario
0: behind the spine is an attempt to inspire you to write and to shine a light on things that might provide a creative spark for your stories now for the second time we want to go one stage further we want to offer you an outlet for your work our writing competition is back in series three we set you a writing challenge based on the lessons we've uncovered on this show We broadcast the two winning entries at the midpoint of Series 4. This time, we're setting you a new challenge. Over Series 4 and Series 5, we've followed the preparation of adventure athlete Kaz Lander, as she and her partner prepared to row unsupported around the coast of Great Britain. Remind yourself of what that challenge might feel like by listening to the two episodes in Series 4 and the bonus episode in Series 5. Then, in no more than a thousand words, try to bring that challenge to life. Two characters, one ocean rowing boat, and the vast coastline of Great Britain. With that backdrop, and your own imagination, feel free to go wild. At the end of the series, we'll pick a winner. We'll pay one writer £250 for the right to use their story as part of Series 6, and we'll also donate the same amount to Kaz's chosen cause – The Royal Marsden Cancer Charity. But now, back to the show. Chapter 2, Past and Present. I enjoyed reading the lives of Eleanor and Finn unfold in the past because it made me understand them more. But that glimpse into their past gave me a heightened sense of anxiety and nervousness about their present The capacity for their reunion to make things worse is suddenly much higher when it has the potential to jeopardise their memories of one another. And given the emotional state we find them in nearly two decades later, one false step could cause catastrophic damage to their friendship. In fact, can friends who become lovers ever go back to being just friends?
1: Before this kind of, before they, the characters, fully formed we were we were playing around a lot with with the idea of the pact and and having two friends that are still friends suddenly go through it and being super close and that just didn't feel there needed to be time apart for them to actually maybe realize their true feelings because I I I do think yes it's very risky but again they're almost meeting as two new people there is obviously the past and that is a very powerful pull when you live in nostalgia and, and who you think someone is but that's why it was very important for me to make sure they had those conversations about who they are now and there are very there are moments in in the book where they do finally have these almost confrontations and they have to be honest with themselves and i think it talks to the fact that a lot of the time we don't really say how we feel and we're not truly honest with ourselves and the people around us and so how can you ever really have a connection with someone if you're not completely honest so it was risky But I think the fact that it was a slow burn had to happen, like you said, otherwise it would be a rash decision. And for me, the consequences would probably not go well because it would have been very easy for them to do it. And then them leave and, you know, Finn disappear off, Eleanor just move on. So it had to be slow and it had to be a process of understanding and learning who each other were again
0: there is an additional layer of learning that they go through as well, which is that they don't necessarily have a consistent understanding of the past and of the things that happened to them in the past. And I always find it interesting when in families, siblings have radically different memories of family events and radically different understandings (laughs) of favorites or what you were allowed to get away with at certain age, et cetera, et cetera. For these two, what we learn about their individual childhoods really does strike a chord they do learn about things they didn't necessarily know about which maybe sends them on a journey of re-examining their childhood relationship and the pact that they meant so not only are they not the same people that they were when they were 13 they're understanding now that they probably didn't really understand who each other was at the age of 13 because there's so much we don't talk about and we learn you know about trauma and about conditioning and and lived experiences and stuff. And it really does, it really does strike a chord, doesn't it, with the pair of them that actually you think you understand what your child is like and actually you really don't know what's going on behind the closed door.
1: Yeah. And it rings very true. It probably rings true for everyone, you know, how you can sit with your, you know, I do it with my sister all the time. And I'm like, but but this is what was happening. And she's like, it's so interesting because this is actually what I was thinking. And I was like, wow. And again, I think it is a process if you choose to to look at your childhood and have those conversations. It's when this kind of scales fall from your eyes and you realize, actually, you only had one particular lens of something. And often it takes you to become an adult and maybe realize, like we said at the beginning, that life is really quite difficult and there's not suddenly a moment where everything, you know, you graduate from life and everything suddenly becomes easy. You then look back and realize, okay, maybe I wasn't seeing everything for what it was. And with Finn, especially, I think he chooses not to see. So his default is run. And I think, you know, with Eleanor, it's it's almost absorb everything and try and fix everything. Finn is, OK, well, this is too hard. I'm going to cut and run. I'm going to shut off. And for him, it was really important for him to get to grips with his past and actually open himself up to vulnerability, which I think is a hugely scary thing that a lot of us don't want to do or don't know how to do. So, yeah, the the, the childhood chapters are actually my favourite to write because, A, it's the magic of being young and naive, but also you have all these unsaid things and these unresolved feelings that seem so simple when you're younger, but actually there's that depth to them that you only really see as an adult.
0: There's a moment in a writing project, whatever it is you're writing, a book, a poem, a short story, a script, there's a moment of childlike glee when you haven't screwed it up yet. Right, and you haven't <laughs> yeah. you haven't made an absolute dog's dinner of it. And in a way, I thought about that when I thought about them as as kids and as teenagers. This pact—it's so it's so joyous, it's so pure mm-hmm. because life stretches infinitely in front of them at the the very first chapter when they make this pact, yeah. which is written in the most hilariously adult legal <laughs> jargon that you think it's incredible that Vin came up with this. But life is infinite at that stage. Cutting to the present when we see them again, oh boy, have they screwed it up. You know, has, have, yeah. has stuff gone wrong? And I find it really interesting that when you're in a relationship with someone, then actually all of their mistakes, all of their flaws, all of their screw-ups, everything that's gone wrong, makes somebody even more beautiful and attractive to you when you realize that that, you're taking the whole package you're not taking the 13 year old pact when nothing's gone wrong yet you're taking the entirety of the package and and i found it you know really interesting as they did get closer to healing and mending and closer to each other and closing to being vulnerable as you say that actually they become really beautiful people and really beautiful characters and again you know without wishing to kick them up the backside and say get on with it it's like you wanted to say to them i particularly wanted to say to finn you know it's okay for you to be vulnerable it's okay Mm -hmm. for you to talk about this because the change i think you need to go on is this journey of realization that you need to confront this because that's the only way to get past it I I loved the way that you you handled that but Finn has to go there doesn't he there's no other option for him he's got to but you can't push him there he's got to make his own mind up to go there
1: and that's the other thing that I think plays into all of this as well in in kind of what we talked about beginning with society's notion of of relationships and I think there is a huge feeling that a relationship will fix you and this other person will come in and do all these things for you and help you and yes they can help you but Finn and I believe everyone, you know, needed to do this for himself and, and by himself. And I think actually if they had continued to stay friends, I don't necessarily know if they would have reconnected and and, and had potentially a relationship because I, I don't think they would have ever felt the need to do these things because almost they just relied on each other. And actually until they were by themselves... They didn't have that comfort. And so it was like, OK, well, what am I going to do now with all this stuff in front of me? And I think especially with with Finn, he wanted to create this this perception that he's fine and that he was the joker and he would, you know, he was always making Eleanor laugh. And he was that person that never had a worry. And that is not sustainable if you want a true connection with someone. And I think we see that very clearly, that it's when he starts to open up and when Eleanor allows him to as well, you know, because she is quite defensive when they first meet. And so it's a process of opening and then allowing that real connection to come through.
0: Chapter three, time weathered characters. The time of part that Emily has given these characters is a story in its own right. It's the unknown bridge between then and now, which provokes so many of our questions as readers what on earth happened? But this back and forth moving seamlessly between the past and the present is no mean feat for a writer. In a way, you need to know what happens to your characters in those intervening years, even though you might never write that story down. You also always need to be aware that you know more than your characters. You might know their future, but they don't, and that must be reflected in their behaviour. So how did Emily deal with this tough task? Did she write all of the past segments at once and then flip to the present? Or did she go back and forth as it's written in the book?
1: Yeah, no, I I went back and forth as I wrote it in the book. There was actually a lot of, there's probably more, we played around, I played around with how much you saw of them in the past. Probably to preserve that is almost just a snapshot. So I didn't want to go, you know, it's very easy for me because I, I was kind of fully in the characters to then suddenly, you know, write the whole tale of what they've been up to. But it was finding those moments that really epitomized how they felt about each other and themselves and really capturing that kind of naivety that we spoke to about everything seems so simple. And it is just what it is in that moment. You know, you're not thinking too far ahead. I actually didn't find it that difficult. I think because when I was in the characters, I felt it so keenly. And you know, I probably drew on a lot of experiences personal to me, especially with Eleanor just really relating to that. I'm thinking particularly about the one of them at the at the party. I feel like we've all had those moments. And for me, it's just really immersing myself in how she feels and being very present. So it didn't feel hard but obviously it was it was more about discerning how much to reveal i think that's the the tricky bit for me
0: yes i get the impression so i'm i'm often very conflicted because i'm both a reader and a writer and i yeah. have to switch off the writer when i'm reading and just be present and you know and allow you to take me on uh, on a journey but when i stop and i reflect you know i'm like there's there are sort of several craft questions that i'm that fascinate me and and, and one is I'm guessing, having read this and having spoken to you, I'm guessing that there is far more that you know about these people than is in this book. And I wondered, is that an exercise in you as the writer have to work this out in your own head in order to be comfortable writing it? Because there is such a remarkable restraint, Emily, in your writing, in what you share, in particular with reference to trauma and things Mm -hmm. that have conditioned them. They're not throwaway references, but they're not laden with huge amounts of detail. And in a way we don't need the detail, but I wonder whether when when I sense restraint in a writer, I always think it's a very brave choice because the choice to overwrite is quite a natural overpowering one. And you haven't done that. But I wondered, do you know more about these people than you have told me in this book?
1: Probably. I I, yes and I think that is important for any process that you know in book one this book and the one I'm writing at the moment it's I probably write notes for myself and I have an understanding and then it's about selecting the moments that are the most relevant and obviously you you and the readers see what's now on the page. I mean there's obviously been various versions before which are probably my editors like we need to we don't need to see you know Finn and his outfit choices every day. But I think having that knowledge just for me is so important. And it's interesting you talk about restraint because it's something I think some readers find not unsatisfying but they want more naturally. You know, I've had that with some of my endings. It's like, but then what happens? Like, tell me everything that, that goes on. And for me, I, I want it to be space for the reader to imagine themselves. Because for me, that's the power of, of reading, is you get the privilege of creating. Yes, you get to listen to what the author has to say, but you get the privilege of creating it for yourself as well. And yeah, I, I also think the trauma aspect, it's important to touch on it and be respectful of it and honour it authentically. But for me, it's also important that that doesn't then just become their whole character. Because I think, and I've, you know, with my own journey I've been on, it's very easy to wear all your trauma as kind of like weigh you down, but that isn't necessarily who you are. It's a part of who you are and it's had an obvious impact on their lives, but they are more than that. And that's what I want them to see for themselves. And probably that's why it comes through in my writing as, as kind of a restraint in those
0: areas. I think that you're right I think there will be readers who will be naturally upset or disappointed that you haven't given them all of the answers. Readers we love readers because they're very demanding you know and they're also very generous with their time and and they deserve to have as many things you know given to them as possible but I'm also a huge fan of if you got 10 people to read this book and then got them round a table with a glass of wine and said, what do you think happens next? I'm convinced you'd get 10 different answers because that's the beauty of, of, of it is that you do get the privilege of having your own lived experience through this book. And, and the book is, it's a snapshot of two different times in these people's lives. It's not a biography, you know? And I, yeah. and I, and I, I do think that these characters will demand that you let them work their own future out they don't want that pre-written. That's not you know, particularly interesting. So yes, you're right. The restraint will be a, will be problematic for some. And, and you also get, not in this book, but you also get comments like, oh, I found it was an un, unreliable narrator. And I always find that a really interesting note because I often think that that's the wrong note. They're an entirely reliable narrator because what they're doing Is they're wearing a mask depending on the situation that they find themselves in which every single person does every damn day and you know the more these characters can be the way people are in real life in in real life as you said nobody says what they mean you know Mm -hmm. we make choices depending on the situation that we're in we change our minds all of the damn time you know yeah sometimes we lie sometimes that's okay sometimes it's destructive and damaging and all of those things but these characters, when I got to the end, I am going to ask you to answer this question without telling me what the answer actually is, if this makes sense. (laughs) But I know what happens at the end, because I've read the book, and anyone Mm -hmm. listening to this has read the book also knows what happens to these characters at the end. So without talking about A, what happens to them at the end, or B, what happens to them next, do you know, what happens to these characters in six, 12, 18 months, two years, five years? Do you have a sense as to where they are without telling me where they are?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because actually, I have a sense and I have a hope, but I I don't know. And actually for me, I, I think of it as you described really perfectly. I've been given a snapshot into their life at this point and for me it probably sounds quite strange but the dialogue everything about them kind of comes through and and sometimes it doesn't really feel like I'm creating it it's almost like I just hear their voices and I I write their story and that for me is yes it's like friends you know it's like I have hopes for where they are and, and what they're doing and how they how they're getting on in their lives but I don't know I haven't really gone into that So I've left the story where it felt like I needed to leave it.
0: Well, you've left it in a remarkable place. It's a stunning achievement. I think it will do extremely well. It certainly deserves to. Last time we met is out on August the 4th. Emily Horton, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Emily Horton for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? Time weathers characters. When your characters exist in multiple timelines, you need to write their past, present and future selves almost as different characters entirely. Don't forget just how vastly a person's personality changes over time. Know your characters outside the confines of the narrative you lay out for your readers. Flesh out their backstories so they become more solidified and well-rounded in your mind. Build entire lives for them. And then cherry-pick the parts of those lives you want your readers to see. And finally, practice restraint in your writing. Small details can sometimes be most powerful and they're left unexplained. Don't become too overindulgent when adding texture to your characters. Keep it subtle. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. This is the final episode of Series 5 but don't worry, series 6 is already in the works and I can guarantee it will be a cracker in the meantime you can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk we'd love to hear from you we're also on twitter and facebook as at behindthespine and instagram as at behindthespinepodcast check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode additionally sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our new, exclusive, live and in-person residency at the Grouch show club in london these events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you the audience both behind the spine and in the room if you'd like to be on the guest list please drop us a line remember to get your entries in for part two of the writing competition goodbye for now stay safe and keep writing
1: This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.